Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman and here with Jennifer White. Hey, Jen, hey. how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Question of the day. Uh, what do you tell people, like strangers, that you do for work? Given our area is so unique, what do you say? I mean, I tell them that I own a surrogacy matching program. (laughs) What about you? Have you ever been on an airplane and like, or traveling? I mean, especially because I guess that's when you tell random strangers, right? Is when you're traveling, most likely. You know, I feel like I do a lot of like networking type professional group type things that I go to. And that's when it comes up. I'm in such a niche area of law. But I, I will say that so, so often people then tell me about their own fertility or IVF journey, where I think people just don't realize it's so, so common and like just people you meet. Yep. They've been through it too. So I get to hear people open up about their own fertility journeys when I tell them what I do. So that's always kind of nice. That's awesome. Most people look at me like I'm a weirdo, you know, (laughs) even that it's like, just like, cause I'll get a, like a lot of like, what in the world is that? But I was once, and this was pre-pandemic when we were allowed to fly, uh, sitting down and somebody asked what I did and they actually said, oh, I'm a retired reproductive endocrinologist. Uh, wow. <laughs> so, and she was actually that, reading right? like for sterility and fertility magazine, like during the play, during the ride. So wow. I was like, whoa, okay. That was a total strange, random coincidence. That's funny. Well, I just say I really love this interview that we're about to play um, because I think there are so many misperceptions about surrogacy, especially people just who don't have a lot of like touch points in their life about it, where they're like, oh, it's something Kim Kardashian did or celebrities do it because they, they don't want to get pregnant. Where I think there's, we, you know, we know there's so many just normal people that so these have are no real choice people. but to turn to surrogacy if they want a child. Um, and in this interview, one, she's a lovely, wonderful person and so open about her, her story and being in that position. Um, Paige, I was just saying, I never know where to start, but um, to introduce you slightly to our listeners, you are what we call an intended parent in the surrogacy world, where you have had a child by surrogacy, um, and you are still in the process where you are currently looking for your second surrogate, but you've had such a long and interesting journey, and I think you have such a great openness about all of it that we're excited to kind of delve in so people can really hear what it's like from that perspective. So again, still not knowing where to start. Um, where did you, when did you meet your husband? How did you meet? I don't know. What's a good question. Let's go with that. Yeah. My husband and actually we met in 2010 and um, he was a college, he was a graduate student at the University of Colorado and I was a senior in college and I was doing an internship on their campus and we kind of just met that way. Mm-hmm. And I was actually dating somebody else <laughs> at the time Uh-oh. and he asked me out and um, I told him I wasn't available and we passed cross again and I told him, hey, <laughs> um, how about that date? <laughs> nice. yeah. And um, that was kind of the end of it. We went on a few dates and I think we were like 24 maybe and it was that was the end of it we've been together ever since we've been married it'll be 10 years this april 
Congratulations. And we've yeah, we've definitely gone through a lot in our marriage. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, that's um, the next part to dive into, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And did you guys talk early on that about having children or if you both wanted children? We did. Um, we wanted to have children at a younger age. And so we got married when we were 26. We wanted to start right away, actually. And we, you know, you're 26 years old and you think you should get pregnant right away. And we never did. Mm-hmm. So we went and sought a fertility specialist, fertility specialist in 2013 when we were 26. So we've been on this fertility journey for about nine years oh, now. Wow. And did they just tell you to wait because you're so young, like just keep trying or what did they tell you? They told us that I had, at 26, I had diminished ovarian reserve and that um, that could hurt our chances. So we did four IUIs that didn't count for anything. And then we did our first egg retrieval in 2014 when I was 27. Wow. And that resulted in one normal embryo. Wow. And our... And our doctor said that was very odd for somebody our age, and he recommended that we do another egg retrieval. Um, Since we were so young and healthy, let's just go ahead and get it over with. So we agreed. So we did a second egg retrieval, and that was in 2015, and that resulted in zero normal embryos. And can I ask, is insurance helping? Or I mean, this is just so financially hard for so many couples, especially when you're Mm -hmm. young. Yeah. Yes. um, We had a little bit of help with insurance that helped pay for our first egg retrieval. And then our second egg retrieval, my mother-in-law really knew how desperately we really wanted to start a family. And so they helped us with our second egg retrieval. Wow, that's great. And so we had zero normal embryos and my husband and I were just, we were trying to figure out what what's going on. And we just could not give up quite yet. We wanted to try it one more time. So we switched to CCRM, which is also local to us. It's about 10 minutes down our street. That's convenient. Very convenient. And we did a third egg retrieval also in 2015, and it resulted in two normal embryos. So we were at that point, we were just like, oh, okay, this is over with. It took us about three or so years to get to that point. And, um, we were just we were just so relieved, and yeah. we had my transfer scheduled. Um, and I have to say, I'm in sorry, I'm going to interject. I love the optimism that you're yeah. like, yeah, okay, this is over with now. All <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, we spent three years emotionally draining ourselves, financially draining ourselves into IVF, and just to see that light at the tunnel, we were. I already was on my transfer medications. We were just so ecstatic and. In October, I was just feeling not myself, and I went to my doctor, and I said, I have my transfer in two weeks. I need to be in tip-top shape. (laughs) There's something going on. And you weren't just assuming it was like the transfer meds that were messing with you, or you thought it was something worse? um, We decided to take two months off after my egg retrieval to just clear my body of all the medication and to just kind of rest, and then... Uh, my, my primary care physician said that she thought maybe my heart rate and me not feeling the best was because all the stress hmm. and the anxiety of this all happening. And I remember telling her, I said, no, 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 we need to figure this out. This wow. is like a change in my life. So she sent me to the ER 
and just to, you know, just to check my heart out, just to do a quick heart scan um, because my heart rate was like 130. Oh, wow. I have to say, I love that moment. And, I think it's yeah. so important in so many stories when a doctor mm-hmm. says like, don't worry about it. It's stress. And someone's like, no, no, I, I yeah, know no myself myself. Yeah. and it's something more mm-hmm. and we need to talk more and not just to like be dismissed. So I love that. Absolutely. I mean, being your own patient advocate and she, you know, she said, you're young. I was 28 at that time yeah. and um, they completely dismissed my concerns, but um, I went to the ER and um, the ER always runs your blood work. That's the first thing that they do. And yeah. the ER doctor came in and said, I had leukemia. Oh, and just, just and like, just, just like that. Just like that. Wow. <laughs> Just like that. He sat down and he just said, you have leukemia and an ambulance is on its way to take me to a cancer hospital in Denver. Wait, an ambulance? Like that you were, your life was at stake right then. So when I got to the, it's called Presbyterian St. Luke's. It's a cancer hospital in downtown Denver. When I got there, they found out that my blood, my white counts was 92% leukemia. That sounds bad. Really bad. (laughs) And I was, I, you know, I just thought it was anxiety. I was just so pumped up for this transfer. I probably was just ignoring some of these signs. And I started chemotherapy just a few hours later in the ER. Oh my God. Wow. And so it was very, very fast because leukemia, I didn't know this, but I know a lot about leukemia now. It's a very fast growing cancer. So there's some cancers where you can wait a little bit before starting treatment, but leukemia is a lot more fat. It's a lot faster. And then, I mean, um, the fact that they're taking you by ambulance says a lot to me that that was urgent. Mm -hmm. It was very scary. Thankfully, my husband was with me that day. Um, So he met me at the hospital. And how did things go from there? I mean, what a huge shock that you were ready to do this great, you know, go on and finally get to see these embryos become your children. And now you're in a completely different path of your life. It was, it was, I don't know if I can really explain it. I was shocked. I was depressed. I was just, I guess it was just unknown of what my life was going to be like. Everything family planning literally just stopped. And we just focused on, Am I going to live? <laughs> Survival planning yeah. instead of family planning. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it was just, it was just a, it was a bad, awful day. We, I got to the hospital and of course that's the same day that my additional estrogen patches were delivered. And oh. <laughs> it was just all these type of reminders, but we, um, I started chemotherapy and then I was told that I had um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. There's many different types of leukemia, and the one I had is more common in young children, ages 10 and younger. And I don't think this is the right word to say, but I was very lucky that I got that type of diagnosis as opposed to different types of leukemia, as the survival rate is just around, just over 80%. Oh, wow. That's good. So we we were optimistic, but at the same time, you're very scared. Yeah. Um, so we did some chemotherapy and I was in the hospital for a lot of, for a significant amount of time. I think I spent around 121 days in the hospital altogether. Just every time I would go back home, I just couldn't make it. I would have a fever or I, um, you know, throw up. And every time you have a fever, you have to go back into the hospital because you need to have antibiotics right away because your body doesn't have the white cells to fight anything off. Yeah. And at this um, point in your life, were you working or, I mean, did you have to 
stop working because you're in the hospital this long or what what else were you doing I was actually not working when I was diagnosed mm-hmm. um the reason why was I was just so stressed out because yeah. of IVF Makes and sense. I just couldn't emotionally handle the two of them together yeah and when we got our two embryos um right before our third egg retrieval I stopped working um, just to focus on this because we it yeah. meant so much to me and my husband and I both agreed that it'd be healthier for me to stay at home. Makes sense. So I, so um, yeah, I was not working when I was got when I was diagnosed, which was very, very good. I didn't have that extra stress where I know other patients have that where they have to figure out their work and all that type of stuff. But um, I was able just to focus on cancer treatment and. After going through everything, it was the one thing I wanted to say that was the most hard going through cancer is we were 28 years old and a lot of the nurses, we were married for three and a half years by then. And all the nurses would come in and say, okay, you just got to fight for your children. You just got to fight for your children. They thought we had kids already because of how long we were married and how young-ish we were. And that was just hearing that all the time from – because nurses come in and out of your room right and they don't think about what they're saying necessarily yeah they had no idea and that was so hard (laughs) every time to hear that and my husband told me um one thing I just will never forget because it makes me cry thinking about it he told me he said Paige you are fighting for your children you have them they're just frozen and that was really beautiful. I just thought about that every single time. And he said, we're fighting for our kids. We're fighting to live, to build our family. And I just kind of kept that mentality. And once we got through a lot of our treatment, I was told I needed to do a bone marrow transplant. Yeah. So in 2016, I had my bone marrow transplant from a donor who my son is actually named after. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it completely saved my life. I'm a, it, it, I mean, there's no, you can't really say you're cured of leukemia, but I'm a hundred percent donor. My cells are hundred percent donor. So it's, I can't relapse. Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. And did you have to wait for a while for a match or did, what did that come pretty quickly? Um, when I was diagnosed, they swabbed my sister. She came down, um, right away to get her swab to see if she would be a match. So with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, majority of the patients end up going through a transplant. And so they just wanted to find somebody. My sister was not a match. And um, there was a boy in Tennessee who um, matched for me. And he agreed to it. He was 20, I think, at the time. Oh, wow. And that's the one who kind of went through the testing to help someone out there he didn't know. Is that? Yes. That is so we, I, yeah, we, for um, transplants, you have to wait one year after your transplant and you write to, um, it's called Be the Match. It's a, the national marrow organization that you would like to meet your donor to yeah. thank them or just to connect. And if both people agree, then you are connected. So I assume, does that mean you got to meet your donor then? I did. And I met him in 2017 and then he came out to Colorado to meet our son in 2019. Um, Okay. So that actually, as you've mentioned your son a couple of times, 
you mm-hmm. were getting ready to go have your IVF transfer. You find out <laughs> you have cancer. Did you, were you able to go have that transfer yourself? What, what happened next? Um, I never have done it. You mean a frozen embryo transfer? Correct. Yeah. I was kind of guiding you as to where, where your story yes. went there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so after my trans, so before I did my transplant, a part of your transplant is you have to do total body radiation. And that is because leukemia is in your bone marrow and that's where it grows. And the only way to kill all of your white cells is to do head to toe total body radiation. Oh. So I did um, multiple sessions of that to where you're basically left with nothing. And then I get my donor cells from my donor and that he becomes my new white cells. So when we were getting ready for the transplant, I spoke to the radiologist and he told me that I would never be able to carry a child because of the treatment I was going to do. The radiation basically would shut down my uterus, um, scar it. Um, I went through menopause when I was 28. And we knew in 2016 that we would have to use a surrogate. So my husband and I, we started going, (laughs) I was still sick. And yet we started saving up and going through and looking at surrogacy while I was still in the hospital. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's good though. It gives you, it gave you something to look towards right yes right oh that's incredible yes so and then we yeah so we started the surrogacy process in 2017 i went back to ccrm and got to learn a little bit more about what surrogacy is and um we started that in the fall of 2017 and did you go through an agency how did you how did you go through your surrogacy journey we, I had a friend um, that is also a patient at CCRM and she recommended this agency in Oregon. And we just, you know, we didn't know anything about surrogacy. And so we thought maybe just having that personal connection with somebody um, would help. So we signed up with this agency. It did take quite a bit of time for us to get matched just because CCRM has more harsher criteria for surrogates. And the fact that my husband and I would like the option to terminate it took a very long time for us to find the right match. And we were okay with that weight. We felt that having the right match in the end would be the best as we want that relationship. And we don't want there to be any awkwardness. This is supposed to be a fun journey. And we want it to be fun for us and really rewarding for her. Awesome. And so we were... I was going to say, so who yeah. did you... So I'll talk about meeting your surrogate and how, how that went and, and that journey. Yes, it was... <laughs> Super awkward. Um, you don't, you know, and um, we were, the agency we did was more of, um, you just hire them, they match you and then everything else is kind of on your own. So um, that was very hard for us. So we met over zoom and it was just us and the surrogate. Um, her name was Heather and her family. And we kind of just got to know each other. I didn't really want to get into the nitty gritty. I just wanted her to hear a little bit about our story and why she wanted to be a surrogate. And she ended up, she was a repeat surrogate and she kind of just wanted to do it one last time. Hmm. And we, I told her in the end of our conversation, I wrote to her, I told her um, our reasonings of why we wanted to terminate. And she completely understood that, you know, that a parent should have that type of a choice if it was their child. And, 
the fact that we just met on all those different types of things, we agreed and we sent her to CCRM, her medical paperwork, and she was actually denied by CCRM because her previous delivery twins were a little bit underweight. And she was just like, no, I want to be a surrogate for you. I can carry these babies. So she went into her MFM, a specialized doctor, and got a clearance letter. Oh, and then CCRM was okay going forward? CCRM was approved. They approved her. She carried the twins to like 38 weeks. They were just underweight. So um, they were just, you know, CCRM can be a little... A little picky. <laughs> I, they're, they're trying to protect you, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. And um, I, I want to keep just, going with the story, yeah. but can I ask quickly to go back to the termination? I, I was, was going to loop back in a little bit. There, it's yeah. such, I mean, I will say right now when we're recording this, like the Supreme Court just heard a case that's really um, could change how um, termination of pregnancy is viewed under the law going forward. And obviously, a lot of people have very strong feelings about it. And it can, it's one of the, the key factors with surrogacy of making sure you're on the same page. Um, mm-hmm. And I think something that adds to it with your story that we haven't talked about is that you and Jeff are Catholic, right? Yes. And do you mind sharing from being Catholic your perspective on IVF and termination? Because I think there is um, kind of an understanding from the outside that, oh, you're Catholic, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe in termination, you wouldn't believe in IVF, like the Catholic Church doesn't support IVF. So how do you guys feel about those issues? Absolutely. And it's going to be a little bit of a long answer okay. because <laughs> not a simple question. Yeah. <laughs> because my opinions on IVF and termination are a little bit different from my um, personal religious perspective. Um, but for when we started IVF, I was Um, raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school and my um, husband converted to um, Catholicism to get married. And we talked about IVF and I went to our priest. My husband and I were actually in the music ministry at our church together. He played in the bassoon and I sang. So we had a fairly decent relationship with our priest because he wrote the music for our choir. Wow. And the main thing it came down to is, yes, the Catholic Church doesn't like IVF, but it got to that point to where that I was, as somebody who spent my entire life going to Catholic school, going to Catholic Church, going through this raising and having that, you know, nobody has like that amazing, perfect relationship with God, but I felt that I had a, a decent, good relationship And the fact that because I was being prevented from doing something that meant so much to me, I was starting to get drawn away from the church. I started, I pulled out of the music ministry because I couldn't sing like that anymore. And I started skipping church a little bit here and there because I just felt like I devoted so much to this and I loved God. I loved everything of this, but I didn't feel that type of support in my way. And the fact that I went to our priest and I said, I really want to do this, but this is actually hurting my faith you know, I'm resent, I'm starting to resent, I'm starting, it's getting worse and that should never happen. Um, and so it was to us, you know, our priest is like, you know, you have to do what you have to do, what's going to make you happy in your faith. And if this is taking it away from you, how is that any good? And so we did IVF and I was very, you know, it just, it made me so happy that I was yeah. able to do this. And I kind of went back to that thing where, 
science exists for a reason. And I, God gave me that choice to choose. Mm -hmm. And so I chose this and then I felt supported by this because it brought me back to where I wanted to be more faithfully. And so that's kind of how it went through that. And the church definitely supported us through that. That's as good they, to hear. And so it was very good. I, I, I know there's some, I think it depends on the type of church you go to um, and how that church is um, directed by the priest or priests that are there. Um, but I just felt very supported. And honestly, I feel like there's a lot more people that do IVF that are Catholics. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. Probably, so thank, thank you. So thank, thank you, you for talking open. about it. So yeah. coming on. The other yes. part and, of this is talk yeah. about termination and you, most people are not willing to have this conversation openly. So I really appreciate that you, mm -hmm. you've already upfront said that you would, because you have a very, I mean, obviously Catholicism would have in general, a, mm -hmm. a very firm stance against termination of a pregnancy, mm -hmm. but you know, you, you have a personal take on this too. So I'd love if you wouldn't mind addressing, especially why it, it really means so much to you to be able to have that choice. Absolutely. So everybody has their own personal opinions on termination. And I think once you, I'll just tell you my reasons why. Um, and it really has nothing to do with my faith. I just kind of feel like I, I don't even bring my Catholicism into this at all anymore, but we have three embryos left. And if I, if, if we never did IVF and I was able to carry pregnancy, who knows what my views on termination would be, but being yeah. an independent parent and having only now two embryos left, it changes absolutely everything. Um, another reason was, is that even though embryos can be genetically tested, it's never a for sure thing. Nothing is ever a hundred percent correct. Mm -hmm. So there still can be some errors in genetic testing. And my family is also, my parents have actually have gone through a lot of, um, I don't really know what to say, just a lot of challenges themselves. As um, before my sister and I were born, they had a, a boy and he died of trisomy 19, which is a heart defect. So he mm -hmm. only lived a few hours and mm -hmm. um, he has a grave that we've, I grew up visiting every single year and it was very difficult for my parents. Mm -hmm. And they went through the pregnancy and they lost their child. I don't think they knew until much later, but I mean, this was in, this was like 1979. This was a long, long time ago. So I don't know what was available back then for pregnancy, but from our, from what we're going through, my husband and I, we have two embryos left and we, to go through a pregnancy emotionally, to see her grow our baby, to go visit her, see those ultrasounds, put all of our emotions in there and our financial resources, and then to lose that child at the very end, I don't think that my husband and I could emotionally come out of that at all. So that's why that is our reason for termination. Um, I think people really need to know the reasons why you would like to terminate. Yeah. Again, if there's a reason there's something else um, uh, challenging with the embryo, you know, that's something that we would have to discuss at that moment in time. We don't know what we would do in that moment, but having that choice um, is something that means so much to us because if we went through this and then lost the child, I'm going to, it's, it would just completely destroy our family. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting misconception that a lot of gestational carriers come into it with is that people would just 
they're like, ah, they're just going to wake up and change their mind. And that's not what I think anybody is talking about in the termination conversation. It's so much more nuanced. It's really is about exactly these things that, hey, either I've had personal experience with, with loss that I'm not sure I can go through, or you know, it, it's not as simple as just being like, eh, gonna, just not going to do it anymore. <laughs> yes. And the loss of a child, I have seen through my, mostly my dad's eyes um, for the last 30 or so years. Um, he talks about um, his name was Chad. That's what his name was going to be. Mm-hmm. And he talks about him still. And when I was in the hospital, my dad wouldn't even come to the hospital to see me. Oh, wow. Wow. He couldn't imagine losing another child. Oh, wow. Um, and going through that all over again. So seeing how my parents are 65 years old and they still carry this massive, massive emotions of losing that child, um, I, that's just something that I don't think that my husband and I can live through. Wow. Thank you for, th- thank you for being open and sharing that. That's incredible. So we're going to go a little more positive. We're gonna, yeah, gonna let's go back to the happy part. part. Okay. CCRM. Yes. Yeah. So we met Heather. She came out here and we kind of just, we really just clicked. Um, her and her, she had uh, three kids and her, she was a previous surrogate for twins. So we were her sixth pregnancy and seventh baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so she was, she basically said, hey, I know how to get pregnant. I know how to deliver babies. Just trust me. And we did. And we, um, it worked on the very first try. And we flew out to see her, I believe, four or five times throughout her pregnancy, mostly just to see them and get connected with her and her family. We would, um, we would take them out to dinner. We'd go around a hike um, just to kind of say hi to them and see if they needed anything from us. I told her that, um, you know, her comfortability levels that I wanted to be somewhat involved in the pregnancy as much as I could from a distance. So she would tell me, hey, one day she was craving um, cherry tomatoes. So the next time I went out to see her, I bought her this big package of cherry tomatoes. That's nice. (laughs) Um, So when she started to crave certain things, I would uh, mail them out to her. Or when she was sick, I'd mail her some honey, um, just just something to let her know that we were thinking of her and just a little bit involved. That's great. So, so you obviously were involved through there, and then the the big day starts to come. And you were not since you weren't local. And this is another big thing that I think sometimes people forget mm-hmm. to talk about is like, hey, if you're not in the same you know city as your gestational carrier, what happened when she went into labor? Yes. So I think ours is maybe a little bit different than other um, stories. Um, She was, everything was going great. She was doing great. She um, had a doctor's appointment, I think one or two days before she got, she gave birth and they said, you're good to go. Maybe one and a half, two weeks. You'll probably take Mm -hmm. it to 39, 40 weeks. Everything was just going great. So my husband and I were going to fly out there. Um, She was due, I think, July 20th if I remember right. And we were going to fly out there about a week and a half prior just because, you know, she's just been doing great. She delivered twins at 38 weeks. Right. You're like, ah, so what baby, <laughs> this is a, a breeze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we were going to fly out there. We had mostly everything packed and my husband and I were at the hospital getting our car seat checked for the baby. 
and I get a phone call from her and she said, hey, I'm having blood pressure issues. They're going to take me to the hospital just mm. to do some monitoring. And you should – they think the baby's going to come this weekend. You need to get here. Oh, wow. So my husband and I, thankfully, we ran – thankfully, he had the day off. We ran home, got the next flight out. We're on our way to the hospital – we're on our way to the airport. And we get a phone call from uh, the agency. And they told us that um, she's starting to have preeclampsia. And um, because she's 37 weeks and five days, they're going to go ahead and do a C-section now. Oh, wow. And um, they're going to take her back in a little bit. And here we were, you know, this was all within less than like, I don't know, six or so hours. So we were getting ready on the air. We were getting ready on the airplane. I think it was like a two-hour flight and then like a 30-minute drive to the hospital. But we knew at that moment we were going to miss the birth. Oh. And um, we sat in the, the agency's like, you know, Heather knows everything that you guys want. One of our thing was that we wanted the baby to be started on donor milk. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the one thing we wanted to make sure that the hospital knew. And that was it. We got onto the airplane and then the pilot goes – there's lightning in the area. So we just sat no. there. <laughs> oh. And they wouldn't take I was excruciating. We were, I was just crying in the airplane. And this guy who sat next to me had no idea what was going on. Wow. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. I don't remember how long we were waiting on the tarmac. But we finally got off once the um, lightning stopped. We get to Oregon. We land and then my phone just blows up with pictures of Bradley. Um, Her husband um, sent us tons of pictures of him Mm. in the C-section room. Yeah. And we, um, we were just so, we, we were just so happy to see that. And we were just, you know, I showed the guy next to me. I was like, this is our baby. (laughs) He like, he probably had no idea what was going on. And so we get our bags we're rushing to the hospital and it was a much, much smaller hospital. So we get through the, they had us go through the emergency room. Like, where are the parents? Where are the parents? Our baby's yeah. here. And they take us, um, they take us straight to her room and um, she was resting and her husband was um, feeding Bradley Aww. a bottle. And it was just, he took care of him. I mean, I think we missed his birth by around five hours. Yeah. And you know, we never planned for that to happen. We planned to be there much earlier and just waited out, but things happen and we tried to get there as fast as we could. And we just had such a great relationship with her and her husband and they just took care of Bradley until we got there. That is amazing. I love it. So I'm going to do a small, small pitch (laughs) here for you. Um, So what, what's going on with these other two embryos? (laughs) We we think about these embryos all the time. Um, I thought about them since 2014 when they were created. Um, you know, we were very happy that um, Bradley took on the first time. And our only wish is to give these two other embryos a chance. Um, we made them. They deserve that chance. And... We were considering starting our surrogacy journey in 2020, but (laughs) everything hit Mm -hmm. and we just didn't know if we'd feel comfortable doing a surrogacy journey um, out of state, particularly because we just knew that'd be very hard to find. We didn't know how hard it'd be to find a local surrogate and we just weren't quite that ready um, doing 
doing surrogacy during the pandemic as we didn't know much about the pandemic at that time. So then in 2021, we got to that point like, okay, it's time. We want this. We really, this is a better time in the life um, during a pandemic as much as you can be. (laughs) Right. The never ending pandemic. And we just, you know, I, I just see all these other, I just don't know how to explain it. I just, um, I just want to see um, our embryo, 5AA and 5AB, um, just, just to give them the chance and to find somebody who'd be willing to help us again and to make Bradley a big brother, to make us parents a family of four. Um, it's just, it's so hard to think that I can't do anything to make this happen. I need somebody to help us. And that's the hardest part is that no matter how hard I try, it's, it's up to somebody else willing to help us. Yeah. And how is your health now? Aside from not being able to carry. I'm, (laughs) I'm um, completely healthy. I've been discharged since um, 2000 and I think January, 2017. Um, I, I, I just, I'm, because my, um, I'm completely a 100% donor. I, I was, my doctor just told me, go out and live your life. And, um, she knew how important it was for us to have our family. And she knew, she knew how hard it would be my oncologist, um, to, to have to go through surrogacy, not to have that option. Cause she, she knew how, how important that was to us. And she actually, um, came out, (laughs) she actually came out to see our son when he was born as well. I love it. That's amazing. So, and um, um, I know you're. We're looking for that next surrogate to help you complete your family and give these two embryos a chance. What, as a parent, is important to you about the surrogate that you would be matched with? Are there things that you're looking for or want to avoid? Honestly, I think it really just comes down to trust. Do they trust me, and do I trust them? Um, I mean, this is a huge part. I want them to be happy and I want them to feel appreciated and love not only her, but this is a huge for her husband if she's married and her kids. I want them to enjoy this, to see that this is changing somebody's life and I want them to help them in that. And I would hope they would allow us to do that as well. Um, I would love for somebody to, you know, um, text us like, Hey, I have a doctor's appointment these days. I'll let you know what happens afterwards. Just certain communications like that is just having that is more than you could, I could even imagine. I know we can't fly out to where she's at if she's out of state. Um, but maybe we could come out once or twice just to say hi and just, you know, to give you some hugs. I mean, you're going through so Mm -hmm. much. I just, you know, and that's the reason why we have a good relationship with Heather. Um, we just, I send her pictures of Bradley here and there. I don't want to like bombard I, her into her life. Ask, no, she, so you still have a, a good relationship with her even to this day? Yes. I, you know, she's, she's going on with her life. She has much older kids. They're teenagers now, or two of them are. And I just send her pictures on the holiday, say, thank you so much. Here's an updated picture of Bradley. And she just says, she just says, I'm so happy, you guys. I'm so, he looks so big. Um, and that's it. We, I'm not trying to bombard or intervene in their future or anything, but just to, 
you know, say thank you. And if she wants pictures of him growing up, I'd be more than happy to share that with them. Heather's never told us not to. And she's always said, you know, her, it's mostly her kids that like to look at them to see what happened to the baby that their mommy carried. That's awesome. Um, so that's kind of just, I don't think there's any way of a relationship with a surrogate go. It's just kind of how you guys go together. It, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to take just a, a side second here and throw in a, a little pitch um, because, and we, we've no, we don't normally do this, but um, Paige and Jeff are pretty special, quite honestly. And I really like, like my heart is so drawn. Um, if anybody is listening out there who is like, Hey, I'd love to be a surrogate and specifically are interested in exploring a match with, with Paige they are actually, I will admit, through our surrogacy agency. So you could come to us. That said, even if you're not specifically drawn to Paige, if you're interested in being a surrogate, there are so, so, so Mm -hmm. many families out there that are in situations just like Paige. So even if it's not through an agency, through us, any reputable surrogacy agency, gosh, if you're called, go out and (laughs) help families because it is so needed and so appreciated. I, I definitely feel like it takes a special family and a woman to want to be a surrogate. And um, I wish I, if none of this happened to me, I wish I would have wanted to be a surrogate um, to help somebody out because yeah. I will never go a day. I, I mean, my life is because of two people, my donor t- and um, Heather. That is incredible. Love it. So life-changing. Well, thank you, Paige, for coming on and being so open and honest with us. And we really appreciate it. And I, I cannot tell you how excited I am to, to hopefully we'll bring you back and get to tell yes. a, a <laughs> of in the future update. about how your next journey went. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was very, um, just thank you so much for letting me share why cancer patients need um, a surrogate to build their family and I hope I shed a little bit of light on, um, yes, I'm Catholic, and yes, I did IVF, and my son is baptized Catholic. It can happen. Um, so I hope that also helps some other women out there who might be on the fence. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you both very much. Thank you so much to Paige McCoy for coming on. Um, I love that she's so open. One, it's just really nice to see an intended parent's perspective, all the the nitty gritty, what they're thinking, how they're feeling and being so normal that it's not celebrities, et cetera. And especially right. appreciate her talking about her religion, where um, where they stand and how she, she deals with these complicated issues. I think that she's yeah. really not alone in that. Yeah. And I, I will say we, I don't think we've ever had an intended parent come on who is actually in currently in journey and looking for a gestational carrier. So while we do not normally do this on this platform, I, again, I know I mentioned it during the interview, but I, I will do a second plug that if you feel drawn specifically to Paige, you know, definitely you can reach out to us, but even if it's not Paige, it's the idea of her story and helping people. And even if it's not to us specifically, there are so, so, so many families who are looking to grow and reaching out to any reputable surrogacy agency would be incredible and would would definitely 
100% change somebody's life. So we encourage that. But if, if you want to just talk about anything else, you can give us a call on uh, 303-997-1903. It goes to our, our nice little recorded line, or you can send us a message through our website. We do also have our lovely little Facebook group. So you are welcome to join the I Want to Put a Baby in You Facebook group. Uh, make sure if you are joining that you answer the questions so that we can admit you because, you know, it's also a little bit strange because sometimes people just want to join groups for no reason. So we, we do like it when you answer the questions. So don't forget and, to do that. And I don't think we mentioned our merch in a while. So if you are looking Ooh. for that last minute Christmas, Christmas gift, New Year's, birthday, Valentine's gift, um, you know, like a sperm Are you logo already with headphones. Pitching your birthday? Seriously? Oh, my birthday. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited about um, all the sperm with headphones uh, merch you're going to buy me. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can go so, on the website and there's a, a little link for that to look at all the, the mugs and jogger pants, et cetera, that are fun. Right. Yes. Um, as always, Huge thank you to our team, uh, to uh, Tyler, to Melissa, to Amanda, and of course, to all of you who listen. So thank you so much for being with us.